and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the show. Shortly, you'll hear my new conversation with New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, one of the most powerful officials in New York State government, of course. She took over as Majority Leader when Democrats took control of the state Senate through the 2018 elections, taking power in 2019. They then worked with the Democratic majority in the Assembly and Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo to pass a long list of Democratic priorities uh, in 2019 and some into 2020. Of course, a lot of that movement uh, disrupted by the pandemic, which posed a new set of, of challenges that the majority leader has been dealing with with her partners in government. And of course, that then followed here now in 2021 with the downfall of Governor Andrew Cuomo and his replacement by Governor Kathy Hochul upon Andrew Cuomo's resignation. So a lot to discuss here with Majority Leader Stuart Cousins. We get into many different angles of that transition of power from Cuomo to Hochul. Stuart Cousins also discussing some of uh, the Senate Democrats' priorities coming up and a number of other issues here in our conversation. Before we get to that, if you've missed any of our recent episodes of the Max Politics podcast, we've had some really good ones lately. Many of them focused on this transition of power in state government and, and relevant issues. We had a good long talk with New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli. We talked recently with the Senate Deputy Leader Michael Janaris of Queens. We've talked with advocates and experts related to housing issues, government reform and ethics issues, uh, folks who have been trying to make sure that the billions of dollars in rent relief money get out the door, as well as the billions of dollars for excluded workers that the state set aside for mostly undocumented New Yorkers who are ineligible for federal and state relief before that fund was created, and a number of other very interesting and important discussions. Most recently, Recently, along with talking with Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins, I also just interviewed New York City Councilmember Keith Powers, so find that conversation as well. He is a candidate for New York City Council Speaker when that vote comes around in January, and he's working on that. And more pressingly, he has oversight of New York City jails, and there is a new crisis point on those issues that has come up, and he's working on those, and that is much of the discussion centered around what he's doing to try to improve conditions at city jails. And then just before those two conversations, I recently convened a roundtable of sorts with three experts on climate change, resiliency, and infrastructure, and we had a really interesting and important conversation in the aftermath of the devastation that Hurricane Ida brought to New York. So please find any and all of those conversations at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. And here is my conversation with New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. And I'm very happy to welcome State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins back to the show. Well, for the first time here to Max Politics, last time you were with us, it was Max and Murphy with Jared Murphy, who has, uh, as I've noted, left, uh, left journalism for nursing school, and, and we've been keeping tabs on him. He's doing well there. But uh, Majority Leader, thanks so much for joining me here. It's really good to be with you. And certainly, I guess uh, your partner figured out we are always going to need quality health care. We're always going to need nurses. So I wish Absolutely. him luck in his new his new career. Absolutely. I think the, 
the pandemic motivated him and, and he's on to uh, another noble profession there. Yeah. For sure. Um, so it's good to catch up with you. Um, and, and thank you for taking the time. I wanted to check in with you here as we're a few weeks into the, the new governor. You've already had a, a special session. There's a lot to to discuss. But uh, first, in the big picture, how is how is how are you doing in this sort of post Governor Andrew Cuomo world? Is it um, you know a lot of people recognizing with each other this this massive relief that's now come over everybody, and there's an opportunity for you know a new day. How how is it going, and and how are you sort of thinking about the new state government here? Well, it certainly has been in a, a, a an amazing transition. Uh, I. This is actually, you say a few weeks, it's actually, I guess, her, her second week uh, in office. And it is certainly different. Uh, we were, you know, I wouldn't say we were friends, but certainly had a good relationship before. She was somebody who always reached out. She always, you know, visited the district. Uh always was a, a partner in government, I would say. I, I never felt that there was anything less than an, an honest and earnest uh, approach to government and to a collaborative government. So it is good that she is in this position. And obviously, this is a very, very difficult time. You know, one of the reasons why the former governor, uh, I was pretty upfront about him resigning back last year uh, was because, you know, at some point, there are so many things that really require almost an undivided attention as it relates to governing and certainly in a state like New York with the number of things that we were dealing with to, 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 to be uh, in the throes of trying to, you know, defend yourself against this and that and this and that. I mean, please. So, um, I am happy that at this point, the governor is fully immersed in fighting COVID, building the economy, and obviously with the uh, tragic uh, flooding that we've had as a result of, of Ida. I mean, we have real issues and she is singularly focused on that. So I'm pretty, you know, certainly happy to be a partner. Uh, I think it bodes well for the future and our recovery and really, again, being progressive uh, and and immersed in governing uh, and making New York uh, the best state, you know, in the nation. And we'll mostly look forward here, of course, but, um, you know, in terms of any reflections you've had about uh, Governor Cuomo leaving office and his tenure, it obviously coincided with you being the minority leader and then becoming the majority leader. There were very tense uh, relationships between Governor Cuomo and members of the legislature. It wasn't always that easy to get a real feel for your relationship with him. I mean, I think that's in part due to how you sort of carry yourself and, and try to not let, um, you know, any personal issues, you know, bleed into the public policy realm. But have you had any reflections on how he, you know, approached you, treated you, treated your, um, you know, your ascension to becoming majority leader? 
You know, Ben, I am really appreciative of the fact that you know how I carry myself because I've always been very clear. I am the first woman leader in the history of the state. Uh, I do not take that for granted. I feel, uh, you know, a, 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 a responsibility uh, for doing and giving uh, my all to this job. And as I said, I don't mind being the first. I certainly don't want to be the last. And so it's very, very clear that this is a humbling position and I am happy to have it. And I, I have an amazing, amazing uh, Senate uh, majority now, but even when we were in the minority, an amazing group of people who really understand public service. So I don't have a lot of reflections on how this journey went. I am happy that at least that part of it is is over. But um, I always considered my working within the framework that I was working in a um, exercise in character building, shall we say that? Mm-hmm. So that every, every time there was an interaction, you, you had to be extremely clear on what you wanted to accomplish, uh, who you were dealing with, and what was most important. So, you know, it, it really was an exercise in character building, and, and it's good. It's always good to build character, especially mm-hmm. when you are charged with something as important as, as helping to run the state. In terms of, of running the state, what are the either things that have already happened in terms of changes, in terms of how the executive branch and the legislative branch are working together or interacting are there things that have already shifted under Governor Hochul that, that New Yorkers should know about that are encouraging? Are there any hiccups that concern you? How has the transition gone? Are there positive signs, concerns? Um, as you mentioned, it's just been a couple of weeks, but you know, government has had to continue functioning, as you also said, and there's been emergencies to deal with. Right. So um, you know, what should New Yorkers know about how the transition has gone, especially vis-a-vis that relationship between the executive and legislative branches? You know, it's always easier when everybody sees the same reality. I think we're looking at a national level where it seems that uh, some people are living in one world and other people are living in other worlds. Uh, It's very hard when you are not inhabiting the same realities to get things done. It is good to have a governor, a speaker. We're all on the same planet, we're all rowing in the same direction. I think the response to the eviction moratorium was, or extending the eviction moratorium is really emblematic of how important that is. I mean, clearly we had a a moratorium that was um, set to expire on August 31st. We had a federal government where the Uh, eviction moratorium that was placed by the CDC was struck down by the Supreme Court. We had billions of dollars that frankly hadn't gotten out the door. It had been hamstrung uh, in a way that just a month ago, out of 50 states, we were 50th in terms of actually getting money into the hands of the people who needed it through what the federal government had given us as a, 
a couple billion dollars for eviction relief. So it was clear that we needed to do something and we needed to be on the same page to do it. And it was great to work with my partners in government, with all of our, our members to come together. It was very clear that we had to extend the eviction moratorium. It was very clear that we needed to get that money out the door. And so we all got together. And as you saw, we were able to um, have the moratorium extended. Now it's extended to January 15th. And in the intervening weeks since this new governor has taken control, we have gone from being 50th out of 50 and getting the, the money out the door to being, I think, number number three uh, in getting the money out the door. I believe California and Texas have gotten the money out uh, more than we have, but both of them started in earnest before we did. So I think this is, this is an important uh, signal that again, when we're all on the same page and we all understand the priorities and what's urgent and, and we come together and, and figure it out, our staffs work to, together to make sure that again, all of the different nuances, because we had to improve uh, what we had before, we wanted to make sure that, that say, People in municipalities who had opt out of, opted out of the state program, uh, those programs may have run out of money. So there are a lot of people who are no longer eligible because their municipality had opted out. And we were able to include them. We were able to to push the the um, the ability for for landlords whose tenants had absconded to get money. So we we were able to make corrections. We were able to do important things. And again, we have until next year, hopefully we will be in a better position in many, many ways so that uh, people will be able to to get on with their lives with some sense of security. Was there any uh, top piece of advice or request you made of Governor Hochul as she came into power? Anything, any tip you gave her from your experience or any any major request you made of her as she took over the executive branch? You know, the thing is that she was not a stranger to me. So we've had a relationship, as I said. And um, I think for both of us, we are women in... you know, rarefied air uh, for for women, quite honestly. I mean, she's the first female governor in the history of this state. So we both uh, have an attitude, and as does, does the speaker, who's the first African-American male in these positions. I mean, we are all people who have, um, you know, not had predictable journeys to put us into these places. So I believe that that in our relationship, we've always been honest with each other. We've always been straightforward. And so there was no advice that I had to give her because she knows that I will say what I believe and express very clearly where I think our priorities should be, where we think we could go, certainly to make sure that that the uh, my conference is represented and the Senate is represented well. And I think that's all that we want from each other. You know, you just want honesty in your partner, in government, your partner, wherever it is. If you, yeah, if right. you all really are honest with each other and if we can tackle whatever the obstacles are together, we all get a better product. I think she understands that it is important to be collaborative, that you don't get into these places 
again, without finding ways to collaborate because none of us get anywhere by ourselves. And I do believe that um, we all understand that. And so it's kind of natural for us to want to work with each other in order to take on this massive undertaking. So, you know, it was, it's just a reliance on what we know to be as a successful in terms of getting things done and our desire to make sure that we do get those things done. Has everything that's happened with the pandemic uh, last year and into this year with Governor Cuomo's uh, resignation and Governor Hochul taking over in the, you know, in the middle of the summer, as it happened to turn out uh, these last couple of years, especially, have they made you think at all about having or, or considering a year round legislative calendar of some kind, some kind of dedicated days each month for session, um, you know, because these emergencies, whatever they may be, seem to keep you know, cropping up. And of course there's, you know, there's legislative business to handle, uh, you know, year round. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been in a year round legislative body. This is not, I do believe that as long as we are nimble, as long as when things happen, and as they say, especially when we are all in agreement that this is the emergency or this is the circumstance that requires our immediate attention, I believe that we can kind of stick with this calendar. None of us think that we are off, quote unquote, when we're not in Albany. But right now it's about six months in Albany and six months down in the district. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to be connected with the people that you are representing and to have a time that you are in your district, listening to your constituents, going to events, responding to their emergencies on the ground where you continue to have hearings. And by the way, our Senate majority has had more hearings uh, in the time that we have been in the majority than probably uh, the previous Senate majority had in its history. I mean, we are well over 100 hearings. We're having hearings continually on the things that are most important to New Yorkers all over the state. So I don't think anyone should think that because we are not in Albany, we're not working. And I do believe it's important that we do have a protracted amount of time in our districts in order to really be connected to the people that we are representing. Any issue with Governor Hochul not getting to have Senate confirmation of of the nominations that she needs for you know, for her administration and, and, you know, certain boards and such to move forward until January. She's going to be putting some names forward, of course. Um, she's already, you know, announced who she'll be nominating for the Department of Financial Services. There had been some some criticism on the left for, for about her nominee there. But um, any issue in your mind about about that lag uh, on the confirmation process for, for certain appointees? Well, as you see, we were able to um, to confirm the, the nominations to the Cannabis Control Board. We knew how important that was because we have waited a long time. The previous governor had an opportunity to make those nominations, did not make them. And this is a brand new industry that really requires the positioning 
of the leadership so that we could get the industry underway. So as you can see, we were able to to make those confirmations and, and get it done. For the remaining uh, appointments that she will be have, I think she herself said that she wanted about a 45 day period right. because she wanted to assess the talent that is currently in place. She's got to figure out whether or not uh, the way things are running are, are running the way she would have them run. She's got to figure out who she would want in these positions. So she herself is, uh, I'm, I think, very clear about needing an appropriate amount of time in order to make these assessments. In the intervening days, weeks, months, she has the ability to make people acting. Mm -hmm. They can act in many cases for months at a time. And we certainly will be able to um, pick up the nominations when we come back. But I think for her, it gives her an opportunity to take a look at, at, at what she needs, who she has, uh, make sure she's fielding uh, the appropriate candidates for the appropriate jobs. So nothing is lost. I said in the case of marijuana, because this is a whole new industry, whole new department, it's not like all these other agencies that frankly have been running and, and will continue to run while the leadership is being assembled. Right, right. Um, several of the former Governor Cuomo's top aides have, have left with him, but a number of, of his closest members of his, you know, sort of inner circle, top advisors, um, people implicated in the attorney general's report on the um, sexual misconduct allegations and the toxic workplace. Several of them remain. They are clearly part of this review that Governor Hochul is doing. Are there any of those top officials that you're most concerned about staying in state service? Uh, I'm, of course, thinking about Jim Malatras as the chancellor of SUNY, uh, Robert Mujica as the budget director, and Dr. Zucker as the health commissioner. Any any major concerns there for you in terms of people you really want to sort of publicly raise a flag about uh, continuing, given given some of those uh, the, that past? Well, you know, I think you probably know me well enough at this point to know that I would not publicly raise a flag uh, before I privately, you know, shared my my uh, sentiments about uh, any of those individuals. Frankly, I've been immersed in in doing this work with the eviction moratorium and with the. Um, COVID situation, back to school, all the things that we're doing. And I know that she has made it very clear that people who appeared in that uh, that report and had an active role in um, creating, uh, you know, some of, of what we unfortunately experienced uh, have no place in her administration. I think she is absolutely correct in that. Uh, for people other than that in terms of their professional handling of their work. I mean, I, you know, I think that's why she's taking the time that she's taking in order to determine whether or not their um, their abilities uh, are suitable for the task at hand. So are there are there things about um, the, the various scandals? There, there are more than than the. the right. Who I named. There's obviously things related to the book deal and the nursing home uh, transparency and reporting and and, and still more. Right. Um, but are there things related to any of these these scandals that have put 
legislative priorities on your agenda or move them to the top of your agenda. You know, there's calls for additional changes to state sexual harassment laws. There's questions about the future of state ethics enforcement. Sure. Um, are, are there are there top priorities right now that you're eyeing? Well, you know, ethics is always a really top priority for us. I mean, we we have been very very clear about what uh, what we feel government should look like in terms of transparency, in terms of really living up to the highest ethical standards. And so uh, I and looking at the the J Cope and and whether or not it should uh, remain and and you know how how an agency, quote unquote, like that, or how a, a body like that should really work and serve the public in the best possible way is high on our list of priorities. So yes, that has has really uh, continued to be, you know, something that we are focused on. And, you know, I think you're going to see changes. I mean, you've already seen changes in terms of, of Jayco reform and, and, you know, member appointments. And we, we, we are really, really very, very much interested in making sure that people trust government. And I believe our behavior around these issues will make a difference. And as the, the results of these these other investigations, as you said, there's the book deal, there's the, the bridge deal, there's the priorities in terms of um, testing. There's all these other things that are out there. And now, of course, the attorney general is, is looking into still other Jacob things. So we will continue to uh, monitor these uh, findings and to the extent that legislatively we can put forth some solutions and some safeguards and, and, and guardrails, we will continue to do that. I think people have come to, to find the Senate as that body that, that does it. And we do hearings along the way. Right. You just, <laughs> you just had a hearing on Jacob, the Joint Commission on Public Ethics that you mentioned. And what you just said actually ties into my, my next question on the subject, which is the state Senate majority did pass major Jacob reforms this past session, but the assembly did not. There was no, you know, uh, legislative, you know, agreement yeah. on that. And then there was obviously no three-way agreement with the executive branch. What do you, you know, and this seems to be a pattern where the state Senate is a little ahead or a, a lot ahead of the assembly on, on ethics and other reform issues. How do you get the assembly, um, you know, sort of up to speed more on, on some of these issues? Well, uh- you know, I mean, I have enough to get the um, work that we have to do- get done done. I believe that um, the speaker is, uh, you know, working with the assembly in order to get what, what they feel are priorities. I really suspect, Ben, that you will be having this conversation with the speaker mm-hmm. so that if you you know, wanted a real answer to that question, you would be able to get that. But for me, again, we, we work well together. Uh, our, our Senate, even when we were in the minority, you remember, have always, I mean, there's certain things that we, that really uh, is our brand. And these kind of transparency issues, the uh, ethics reform. I mean, when you talk about hearings and, and sexual harassment, I mean, when we looked at the fact that nobody had even done any 
hearings like that right. in decades. I mean, that's what we do. So we're very, very proud of our brand and, and we're proud of the fact that we don't say one thing and do something else because that's part of our brand as well, that we we say what we mean, we mean what we say, and to the extent we can legislate it, we do. And again, we do a lot of work with the assembly, clearly. We've been able to pass more bills together on a variety of things uh, over the past few years. I mean, usually between 800 and 1,000 bills that we agree on. So it's not like we're not talking and we're not on the same page for a lot of things. But, you know, this has always been our priority. And I think we've made it clear that it continues to be, especially since uh, in so many ways, the the ethics of, of people in government is being questioned and challenged. We're in our last few minutes here on Max Politics with uh, State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins. Thanks so much again for taking the time here. Um, just a, a couple more questions. Um, uh, there's so many, so many issues I wanted to, to ask you about, but we'll we'll talk to you more down the line. I'll come I'm, back. I'm I... glad you also just gave uh, Speaker Hasty a reminder to, to come on the show and and chat <laughs> with me because uh, we'll we'll be extending that invitation again to him. Um, <laughs> so. The one other thing I wanted to ask you about under that umbrella that I just mentioned was there's the, there's a number of bills related to um, gender-based violence, harassment, uh, workplace issues. There's many, but one specifically is extending the, the human rights law to all of the staff of elected and appointed officials and making sure that all, uh, all are... are covered by that law? Is that something that's on your radar? Is that something that's on your agenda? Have the scandals that have occurred, uh, you know, put that bill, which in your chamber, I believe is Senator Gennardis, um, higher on your on your to-do list at all? Or have there been any discussions around that? You know, um, I said there's always discussions about making sure that the human rights laws and the protections, uh, wherever uh, they lay, whether it's sexual harassment, toxic workplaces, all that, there's always a conversation about how to make sure that people are respected in the workplace and protected in the workplace, that they know exactly what to do and where to go should they feel that this is not happening for them. And so I could assure you that we will continue to look at that and any other uh, um, appropriate legislation that continues to underscore that we value people's work. We value a workplace that allows for you to do your best work. And when you do your best work uh, and, and when you work, regardless of, of, of who you are, you will be protected. So, yes, there will be continued conversations on that. And we're obviously talking just after, as you mentioned very early in this conversation, the devastation from uh, Hurricane Ida that reached yeah. uh, New York. Um, there's There's been talk before Ida, of course, about next steps on climate uh, policy, resiliency, questions about following up the uh, landmark uh, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act of 2019. Um, is the state Senate planning anything? There's obviously bills that already exist, um, but but anything um, that you can tell us about, you know, sort of the next steps on the agenda in terms of climate resiliency, environmental legislation? Well, certainly this past um, 
few days and even prior to that, I mean, we, we know, as everybody's saying, that these 100-year whatever incidents aren't 100 years anymore. Unfortunately, they're not predictable and they're coming uh, uh, all too often. So we knew, which is why, again, I'm proud of the fact that we do do this land Mark legislation, you know, our uh, the previous majority uh, wouldn't even acknowledge the fact that climate change existed. So we have this landmark legislation that is, uh, you know, has a real time frame for the reductions in in our our um, you know emissions and 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 you know reducing our carbon footprint and and turning to renewables and all this and we've got a climate action council that is working on ways for us to do it but we know we have to work fast uh so i will be putting together as usual you know our our group works well in work groups and get people together around these climate initiatives because whatever we do we we know it's going to cost money and to that extent there is a three billion dollar bond that will be on the ballot next november that the uh the voters in the state of new york will be asked to approve in order for us to shore up our infrastructure and start doing things to mitigate flooding and and you know um the kinds of things that we know are going to make a difference, wastewater and so on and so forth. But we also need to have a long-term plan as to how we are going to meet these goals. And so we need to work on that. That's going to obviously require even more revenue. And again, I'm happy that on a federal level, we have partners that are also willing to talk about climate change. And uh, I am hoping that, uh, you know, we will have partners in terms of resources, in terms of a commitment, because frankly, if we can't save the planet, then none of this other stuff matters. Mm. So, mm-hmm. we, and we know that very well. And, and lastly, um, and then I'll let you go and thank you for the, again for the time. Um, this redistricting process is underway. The New York State Senate has some of the worst gerrymandered districts uh, anywhere, as you well know. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a, a independent body uh, that's that's crafting maps. We've been covering this very closely at Gotham Gazette, of course. But um, I'm wondering if you as a, as a Senate leader and having been through what you've been through, seeing gerrymandering, trying to keep you out of power, um, are you looking at this as an opportunity for the Senate uh, to, you know, secure and strengthen its Democratic majority? How are you thinking about the redistricting process that's underway here? And when I first ran for Senate in 2004, there were 62 senators. I ran against a Republican incumbent and the district that I ran for, the 35th district, was a rectangle. It made sense. Uh, now, uh, especially after the last redistricting effort that the Republicans were able to do after the 2010 elections, my 35th Senate district is the smiling profile of an old man with a scraggly beard. Mm-hmm. I named him Yaskar White Rock Green. I share with uh, Senator Shelley Mayer uh, most of Westchester, but uh, we have three cities between us. And it's become 
you know, kind of laughable what's happened. They also added a a seat again. There are now sixty three senators. Right. So obviously, you know, people have played uh, lots of games and done lots of things in order to keep power. Frankly, we don't believe we need to do that. Again, I think if we do the right thing in the right way, the right thing will happen. With all of those machinations, I have a supermajority of 43 members. I have no reason to think that if we just did the right thing in the right way, um, you know, because of the, the New York being New York, because we are good at governing and because we have a statewide approach, we will continue to grow our majority. So that's my prediction. And we will be able to do it in a way that is uh, respectful of our voters. All right. Well, we will leave it there and we will indeed check back in with you in the coming weeks and months. But uh, State Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins, thanks very much again for the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.